Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you've not already, I encourage you to check out my ebooks, All I Needed to Know I Learned from Columbo and All I Needed to Know I Learned from Dragnet, which examined the histories and careers of seven great fictional detectives and policemen and life lessons that can be learned from them. They are available at store.greatdetectives.net as audiobooks through the Apple Store or through audible.com, as well as wherever fine ebooks are sold. Well, we continue our celebration of the 110th birthday of Bob Bailey with the next Yours Truly Johnny Dollar serial. The original air dates February 6th and February 7th of 1956, and it's the McLean Matter episodes 1 and 2. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is Don Taylor down at Tri-State, Johnny. Hello, Don. Happy New Year. Belated, of course. Same to you, Johnny. Listen, would you like to come over to my office and meet a pretty girl? Sure. Is she interesting? Very. As a matter of fact, she just told me the most interesting thing I've ever heard. Oh, what's that? She just told me that she was dead. Tonight, and every weekday night... Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs> expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Tri-State Insurance Underwriters International Building, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the McLean matter. Expense account item one, one buck. Cab fare to the International Building and Don Taylor's office. He was sitting behind his desk when I walked in, talking to a tall, dark-haired girl in her late 20s who was standing casually looking out the window at the street below. She was pretty, she was quiet, and she was well-dressed. Hello, Johnny. Thanks for coming right over. I'd like to have you meet Mrs. McLean. How do you do? Hello. Sit down, Johnny. Make yourself comfortable. Uh, take my desk. Uh, how are you going? I'm going to let Mrs. McLean talk to you alone. She has a most unusual story. Yeah, something about being dead, isn't that what you said? Yes, yes, something about being dead. Mrs. McLean, Mr. Dollar will be handling this matter for Tri-State. I wish you'd tell him exactly what you've just told me. Uh, ring the buzzer when you're through, Johnny. Oh, sure. sure. Um... <clears throat> Would you like to sit down? He thinks I'm crazy. That's what he thinks. Well, isn't it? <laughs> well, I doubt that. Well, uh, sit down. Let's talk it over. Of course he does. It's the first I've told it to anybody. It's fantastic. What did he say your name was? Johnny Dollar. Dollar. What do you do? I'm an insurance investigator. Oh. For him? For anybody who hires me. Here. Try one of these, Mrs. McLean. Thank you. I suppose I'll be put in jail, don't you? Look, Mrs. McLean, 
Why don't you try to tell me some of the facts about, uh, well, about whatever it is? The facts are, I'm legally dead, Mr. Dollar, and my husband collected on my insurance policy. Mm-hmm. When did all this happen? Two years ago in Los Angeles. How much money did your husband collect on your insurance policy? $10,000. Where is your husband? In Los Angeles. I suppose you tell me how it worked, Mrs. McLean. My husband's a doctor, Mr. Dollar. His name's Dave McLean. One night he had a patient come in, a girl. Oh, she was in pretty bad shape. She'd been drinking somewhere, and she just came in off the street, saw his shingle outside the office. I was there helping Dave as a receptionist. Oh. Dave took her into one of the examining rooms to see what the matter was. She had a heart attack. She died on the table. Well, there was nothing he could do for her. Nothing anybody could do for her. Mm -hmm. She died on the table, and then what? Dave came out and told me what had happened. We looked in her purse to find out who she was and where she lived. There wasn't anything but an address in Jersey City. No Los Angeles address? No. Her name was Teresa Corbett. She was from Jersey City. That's all. Then what? Well, Dave called long distance to the place in Jersey City. It was an apartment. He talked to the manager there. I see. Go on. Well, uh, well, Dave didn't say anything about Teresa Corbett being dead. He, well, he didn't have a chance, really. The, the manager was very upset. He told Dave that Teresa's mother had died very suddenly two days before. He said he'd been trying to locate her there in Los Angeles. Well, he was very frantic. Well, Go on. It was just one of those crazy things. The, the apartment house manager was just about out of his mind. Teresa's mother had died in one of his apartments on his premises. He himself had, had assumed responsibility for the body. He didn't know what to do about a funeral or, or anything else. He told Dave that Teresa was all the old woman had in the world. Nobody else. And Teresa Corbett was dead in your office at the time? Yes. Well, Dave hung up. I, I didn't know what he was thinking at first, and... And then he said to me, we're in luck. Mm. I asked him what he meant by that, and, and he said that the girl who had died in our office didn't have anyone in the world, and no one would know the difference. Then he told me we'd use her body. Just like that, huh? Yeah, just like that. He said it was the chance of a lifetime. Well, go on. Well, Dave called up Dr. Reed. He had an office across the hall from Dave. We waited a while, and, and then I hid when Dr. Reed came in. Dave told him that I had had a heart attack. He took him back in the examining room and showed him the body of Teresa Corbett and told Dr. Reed it was me. It was awful. What do you mean? Well, I mean, I, I hid there in the back office and listened to them talk. They tried oxygen on the girl and shots and everything else, but it was too late. Dave knew it was too late. But, well, Dr. Reed signed my death certificate. Two days later, they buried Teresa Corbett under my name. And then what did you do? Well, I, I took a hotel room that first night, and then I went down to Palm Springs. Dave said he'd meet oh, me there. Oh, wait a minute. Dr. Reed had the office across from your husband's? Yes. Well, didn't this Dr. Reed know you? Hadn't he seen you around? You said you were acting as a receptionist for your husband. I, I'd never met Dr. Reed. He, he was just new. Okay. So you went to Palm Springs? Yes. After the funeral, Dave came down and he said I'd have to disappear for a while. 
to give him the time to collect the insurance money and straighten out some things. He collected the money? Yes. Yes, he did. All of it. Then what happened? I came to New York to live. Dave was going to close his practice in Los Angeles and come to New York and we'd be together again. He... He never met me in New York. Do you know why he never met you in New York? No. Did he write to you? Yes, for a while. For about three months after I left... He wrote me once or twice a week and, and said that he'd be in New York any day. And then he stopped writing. Do you have any of those letters? No. No, I'm sorry, I, I don't. Do you know why he stopped writing to you? No. I have no way of finding out. I, I couldn't call anyone in Los Angeles and ask them to look into it for me, could I? Tell me, uh, what is it you feel now, Mrs. McLean? What? Well, just what is it you want us to do? Well, well I don't know. What do you do in, in a case like this? I've never had a case like this. Why did you come to us? Well, I, I've had this thing on my mind almost two years. It was wrong to begin with. It's wrong now. I suppose it's because this insurance company was wronged mostly. My, my husband and I cheated them out of $10,000. At least my husband did. What about this Dr. He, Reed? Well, he didn't have anything to do with it. I... I mean, he just signed the death certificate, but he didn't know the difference. You sure about that? Quite sure about that. I don't want to get anyone into trouble. I, I mean, anyone. Including Dr. Reed. Yes. Well, I... I know how, how fantastic all of this must sound, but, but it's the truth. Do you think I'm crazy? You don't look crazy to me. What's the saying... What saying? Oh, something about how you can leave home, but eventually you have to come back to count the spoons. I guess that's what I'm doing now, telling you all this. Mm -hmm. It's good to tell it to someone after all this time. Did you get any of the insurance money, Mrs. McLean? Not a dime. Were you supposed to? I suppose so, yes. If Dave had met me... Would you say the whole thing was his idea? Yes. Yes, I would. I didn't know what he had in mind that night after he hung up the phone. You've been living in New York for the last couple of years since it happened, is that right? Yes, 2257 Street, apartment 23. What have you been doing? How do you live? I've been working. I took a job in a medical lab. Under your own name? No, I used the name of Patricia Kennedy. Is there any way you can prove you're actually Doris McLean? I could in Los Angeles. How? Well, people there know me. Friends I've had all my life. Were you ever fingerprinted there? No, I... I don't think so. During the war, did you work in a defense plant, maybe? No. How about a California driver's license? I don't drive, no. Would you be willing to furnish me with a list of names of people who might be able to identify you? People in, in Los Angeles? Yeah, sure, anywhere. Well, yes, yes, I would, if, if it's necessary. It's necessary. Don't you believe me? All of this has to be checked, Mrs. McLean. Now, what was the reason for trying to cheat the insurance company? Oh, Dave was badly in debt. He, oh, he needed so many things that... Well, it... It seemed a good way to, to get them without too much trouble. You mean burying a girl named Teresa Corbett under your name? Yes. A girl without any family anywhere, with a mother who died two days before. Yes. Very few people in this world are without somebody somewhere, Mrs. McLean. Teresa Corbett didn't have anybody, Mr. Dollar. I know that. Do you know any more about her than what the apartment house manager said on the telephone to your husband? No. Do you remember the name of the apartment house manager in Jersey City? No. The address... No. Is there anything else you'd like to tell me about all this? Well, I... 
I can't think of anything. No. Before I ask Mr. Taylor to come back in here, I want to ask you again. Why did you come to the insurance company? What? Why did you come here to Hartford to the insurance company? You asked me that once, and I told you. The insurance company were the people that were wrong. Now look, obviously, I... you've been living and working in New York and getting along. No one knows anything about this. There was no need for anyone to know anything about it. No need for us to know about it. Now, you'll pardon me, but you don't seem like the type of person who wakes up one morning with a big pain in the conscience. Not at all. Now, you sat here and told me about your husband, how your husband thought of the idea, how your husband hung up the phone, how your husband called in a Dr. Reed to sign a death certificate, how, how your Dollar, husband handled every detail, all of it. Not you, Mrs. McLean, your husband. He's the one you want us to get, isn't he? Yes. He, he didn't have to meet me in New York once he got his hands on that money. He didn't have to do anything about me. I was dead on paper and I couldn't go back I I buy a Los Angeles newspaper now and then and I saw a notice yesterday that he's going to get married again I see but I'm still his wife he tricked me you helped him to do it who's he going to marry there I didn't recognize her How name how are you I'll be 30 next June. I'm going to ask you something else, Mrs. McLean. Have you ever been in trouble before? No. Well, you're in trouble now, if all this is true. Well, it is true. Now, Would I just told you... Would you be willing to sign that... a statement in front of witnesses containing all the information you've given me here today? Yes. Yes, I would. Okay. Yeah, Johnny? You can phone your legal department, Don. Mrs. McLean is willing to make a statement regarding this whole matter. All right. Mrs. McLean, you can make your statement in front of Mr. Taylor and whatever witnesses he wants to use. I'll see you in about an hour or so, Don. Good. You're, you're all through with me? No, there's one more thing, Mrs. McLean. You realize that if what you've told me is true, both you and your husband will be criminally charged? Well, yes. Yes, I realize that. Oh, I... <gasps> Johnny, for heaven's sake, oh, you're trying to scare us. I just me. wanted that part understood. I'll see you. Johnny, wait a minute. Don't worry. I'll be around. Plenty. Johnny Deller. Don Taylor. What do we do about Doris McLean? Find out if she's telling the truth about being legally dead and having her husband collect her insurance, Don? No, no, Johnny. I mean right now. You can't press any charges against her or him until we get some facts. Well, she gave us a statement admitting everything. Can't we file charges on that? Uh, I'd rather not. Huh? Why? Oh, just a feeling. Call it a hunch if you like. Now, wait a minute. Don, I don't think she's told us the truth. <laughs> Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Tri-State Insurance Underwriters International Building, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the McLean matter. A dead girl who was very much alive. Expense account, item two, five dollars. Lunch at a little place called the Copper Kettle for myself and Don Taylor. I think we should act, Johnny. Yeah, well, I don't. Not yet. Look, I listened to her whole story. You listened only a part of it, so get this. She was married to a doctor in Los Angeles, Dr. David McLean. Yeah, yeah. One night, two years ago, a girl named Teresa Corbett walked into his office, a little drunk and a little sick. She had a heart attack. She died. The doctor found a name and a Jersey City address in the girl's purse. He called up the New Jersey address, and an apartment house manager told him the girl's mother, her only living relative, died two days before. 
Dr. McLean hangs up and tells his wife he'll bury the other girl under her name and collect the insurance. No sense in going into all this, Johnny. Now, wait a minute. Doris McLean agreed to this. Her husband calls in another doctor and has the death certified. Doris McLean goes to New York. Her husband collects the insurance. But didn't meet her in New York, as he said he would. Two years ago, this happened, Don. Today, she comes in and says, I'm tired of waiting for him. We cheated you. Do something to us. She also said she'd read a notice that her husband's going to marry some other girl. Makes sense to me. Yeah, well, not to me, Don. At least not all of it. Why? Why not? What are you looking for? The holes. The holes. And there are plenty of them, Don. Look, for one reason, she told it the same way both times. For the second reason... If all this happened on the spur of the moment, in Los Angeles, that is, the girl came into the doctor's office off the street and died suddenly, why would the doctor bother to call New Jersey? Why wouldn't he call the Los Angeles police, for instance? Because he had the insurance thing in mind? Well, what do you think? Now, look, Johnny, I think you're pushing too hard in here. I'm trying to tell you what we're up against. All we have to do is verify our story. Yeah, well, there's something cockeyed in the way it comes out. According to Mrs. McLean's statement, the doctor thought of the insurance trick as he went along. That is, after he called Jersey City and found out the dead girl in his office had no one else in the world because her mother had died a couple of days before. After he saw he had a good chance. Yeah? He wouldn't have known he had a chance to pull the trick if he'd done what he was supposed to do and called the Los Angeles police. Yes, but... Now, that's important. And look, here's another thing. Mrs. McLean says she was acting as receptionist in his office when this strange girl came in. I don't know about you, but every receptionist I've ever seen in the doctor's office will ask you your name and address before you see the doctor. Mrs. McLean didn't do that at uh, all. They'll get your name and address unless they already know it. Where's Mrs. McLean now? Over at the New Hartford Hotel. I asked Sam Benson to keep an eye on her until we file charges and take her into custody. Well, then you can call him off. Now, look here, Johnny. Every word she has told us will have to be verified before we can take any action like that. Every word. I don't know whether I want you to handle this or not. It's okay with me, either way. Now, now wait, Johnny. You want some more coffee? No, thanks. Let's not argue anymore. Okay, let's not. Mrs. McLean admitted she helped her husband cheat us out of $10,000. We've got that on paper. Look here. I made a check on the policy. We issued a straight-life policy in Doris, Mary McLean in Los Angeles, April 23rd, 1945. According to our records, Mrs. McLean passed away February 1st, 1954. Yeah, yeah. Claim was filed by the beneficiary, husband, David Earl McLean, M.D., February 4th, and paid off on the 10th. $10,000, full claim. Here you are. Uh-huh. And that's a photo stand of the death certificate attached. Yeah. Cause, coronary thrombosis. And look at that signature. Dr. Willis Reed. That's the same doctor she said her husband called in. I know, I know. What else? Business about her living and working in New York in a medical lab. Uh, This is the name of the place. Mm Mm-hmm. She said she'd use the name of Patricia Kennedy. Well, I put in a call to their personnel manager. and described Mrs. McLean to him, and he said that sounded like her. Checked out. He'd been with him almost two years. Well, that's about it. Well, I call the airport, and they'll get me out to Los Angeles by tomorrow morning. Thought it'd take a few hours in New York to check some other things out. Joe, that looks pretty definite to me, especially with her statement and all the things she said. So what have you got to worry about, Johnny? All the things she didn't say. Expense account item three, $38.14. Transportation, Hartford, Connecticut, to New York, New York. I checked my bag at Idlewild and took the limousine in as far as the Waldorf. 
Expense account item four, three dollars, cab fare and tip. Number 22, 57th Street. Doris McLean's residence, where she'd lived as Patricia Kennedy, apartment 23. I talked to the manager. This is her apartment, Mr. Dollar. I see. How long has she lived here? Moved in, uh, two years ago next month, uh, March 1954. Good tenant. Very quiet. Ever talked to her? Not much. Christmas time, we had a drink together down in my apartment uh, with my wife. First time I knew she worked in a medical laboratory. Mm-hmm. Does she have any friends in the building that I could talk to? Not that I know about. She keeps to herself, minds her own business. May I ask where she is now? In Hartford, Connecticut, at the New Hartford Hotel, if you want to talk to her about anything. I might want to talk to her about you. So? You knock on my door and say you're an insurance investigator and you want to look at her apartment. I saw your credentials and all that, but I don't know about you now. She asked me to investigate a matter. This is part of the investigation. Well, if you feel any better, why don't you telephone her long distance, tell her I'm here. I'll pay the charges. Oh, that's okay. Do you mind if I look around? I'll have to stay with you, Mr. Dollar. An hour later, I located a Mr. Platt at the Hyde Park Laboratories where Doris McLean had been working using the name Patricia Kennedy. His answers concerning her conduct, habits, and attitude were identical with those of the apartment house manager. I talked to three people who had been working with her in the lab. Same result. Expense account item five, $2.25. Long-distance phone call to Don Taylor in Hartford. Yeah? What'd you find out, Johnny? All clear here. Her story checks out about living in New York. I talked to the coroner's office in Jersey City. Oh? According to their records, a Constance May Corbett, age 61, died there January 27th, 1954. Body unclaimed. County buried her. Coroner's office unable to locate the next of kin, a daughter. Teresa Mary Corbett, believed living in Los Angeles. Well? Well, what do you want me to say? Coincidence or not, this part of it all checks out. Yeah, I'll admit that. Thank you. You're welcome. Expense account item six, $113.65. Transportation, New York to Los Angeles. We landed at International Airport in a heavy fog at 8.35 in the morning. By 9.35, I was in my room at the Statler Hotel sleeping. At 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I got up and showered and shaved and had something to eat. There was a special delivery airmail folder for me at the desk from Don Taylor. It contained a flash picture of Doris McLean, a sample of her fingerprints and handwriting, along with the names and addresses of several people in Los Angeles Mrs. McLean thought might be able to identify her. Expense account item seven, 50 bucks. Deposit on a rented car to get around Los Angeles. The first three addresses furnished by Mrs. McLean were blanks. No one home or whoever had been there had moved a long time ago. It was beginning to get dark by the time I got to the fourth one, an address on Berendo Street in Hollywood. Hello? Hello, I'm looking for Pauline Henderson. What do you want? I want to talk to her for a minute. My name's Johnny Dollar. I'm Pauline Henderson. Oh, may I come in? What's your business? I'm an insurance investigator. I don't have any insurance and I don't want any. Well, it's about a case. Uh, Wait a minute, I'll put on a robe. Yeah, sure. Hope you aren't going to try to talk me into buying an annuity or something like that. No, no, nothing like that, Miss Henderson. Oh, all right. Johnny Dollar, huh? Yeah, that's right. Insurance investigator, did you say? Yes. Uh, Come in. I thought maybe you could help me. 
Well, I'll try. I'm in something of a hurry. Only take a minute, Miss Henderson. I'd like to have you look at this. Hmm. Have you ever seen the woman in that picture before, Miss Henderson? She looks terribly familiar. Is the light all right? Yeah, I can see it. My Lord, yes, I know her. Who is she? Well, that was Doris McLean. You're positive. Yeah, she was married to Dave McLean. He's a doctor here in Los Angeles. She died a year or so ago, very suddenly. Yes, so I understand. How well did you know Mrs. McLean, Miss Henderson? Oh, we were friends. I mean, we worked together in a medical lab here before she married Dave. How long did you know her? Five or six years. What is all this? Just wanted to make sure this was Mrs. McLean. My picture's of her, all right. Yes. You know, I don't think you've been exactly telling me the truth. <laughs> well, I just had your name on a list, Miss Henderson. I was told that you might be able to recognize a picture of Doris McLean if you saw one. Who told you that? I'd rather not say. Nice. So mysterious. Well, I don't mean to be. You look nice enough. Is that all you want to know? Yes. Uh, well, one more thing. When did you hear about Mrs. McLean's death? The day after it happened. I read about it in the paper. It was quite a shock. Doris was always so healthy. How, uh, how did Dr. McLean take it? What? How did her husband take her death? Looking at a picture and saying yes and no is one thing. I, I wish you'd tell me what this is all about. Let's say I wanted to make sure this was Doris McLean, and I wanted to make sure she died two years ago. If I'm any authority, you can be sure of it. How about the other part? Dave McLean? Yeah. He got over it, I suppose. Don't you know? Well, I haven't seen him since the funeral. What's your name again? Johnny Dollar. Where do you live? Hartford, Connecticut. I'm at the Stapler Hotel here right now. Why? It just occurred to me, if you wanted someone to look at the picture and identify it, you'd go to Dave McLean and ask him. After all, he was married to her, you'd go to him. I would. Yeah. You go to him before anybody else. I think I'll call him and tell him about you. What do you think of that? That's all right with me, Miss Henderson. Expense account item eight, $3.15. Long distance phone call, Los Angeles to Hartford. John Taylor. Hi, Johnny Dollar. Doris McLean still at the new Hartford Hotel? Yeah, why? Better call your private eye pal, Sam Benson, and tell him to keep an eye on her 24 hours a day. Huh? What are you talking about? The cat's getting out of the bag here. What? I could be wrong, Don. But if I'm right, somebody might want to kill her. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow... A bit of information about a girl who had a date to die. That's right. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back. I thought the first episode was great, even though it was mostly a conversation between Johnny and Mrs. McLean. It was an incredibly well-done questioning section, and you can appreciate how professional Johnny was and how he got to the heart of the matter. I also appreciated how he stood his ground against Don Taylor and how he responded when Don was saying, I'm not sure I want you handling the case, and Johnny was prepared to walk away. It shows his integrity, and it also shows his understanding of the work. If you're not going to trust Johnny and his instincts, you want to run off and do something ill-advised, then I can totally understand Johnny walking away. It's a standard of his own professionalism and his own dedication to making sure things are done correctly. And the fact that Taylor backed off spoke to Johnny's standing within the insurance industry. Listener comments and feedback now. And we start on Facebook with a comment from Peter who writes, Regarding the Duke Red matter, San Pietro? A Google search found no such place in California, where the names are predominantly Spanish-based, not Italian. A technical goof that detracted from an otherwise excellent series. These multi-part Johnny Dollar episodes are truly gems of old-time radio. I never tired listening to them. By the way, there was such a thing as a terraplane, and that added a nice touch to the story. Well, thank you so much, Peter. appreciate the comment. I suspect they used San Pietro because they would like to have used San Pedro. However, they couldn't because that was a neighborhood in Los Angeles that used to be an independent city. So thus, we have a noted difference between the Johnny Dollar universe and our own in the never-talked-about Italian settlement of California. In all seriousness, I appreciated hearing about the terraplane, which was a type of car, and honestly, when I hear... Car Tops mentioned that I've never actually heard of in real life in old-time radio. I tend to think that they were made up. Quite a few of the real ones. So, nice to add Terraplane to the list, and it's also a really cool-looking car. Then we have an email from Ken, who writes in... Uh, Adam, I really enjoy your comments about the episodes. After hearing all your podcasts for many years... You now seem like a little brother who knows all the trivia. I'm afraid if I saw you in public, I would immediately start talking to you as a friend, even asking about your family, vacation, or other personal information. Perhaps you would be startled, wondering why a total stranger is asking personal questions. I'd like to say that I would handle your questions with the utmost professionalism, that I would be as quick and graceful on my feet as a cat. But this would be known as lying. Actually, this would be known as monstrous fibbing. But I really and truly appreciate the sentiment, Ken. Ken goes on to write, Recently you wondered about the insurance company paying out if the beneficiary killed the insured. The insurance company will typically pay out the claim after the two a year contestability period for most cases of death. However, if the beneficiary killed the insured, the slayer 
rule kicks in. All states have the rule, although the fine print varies from state to state. If the beneficiary is accused of murder, the insurance company will delay paying out. After all, they don't want to pay it to the wrong party and get sued later if the insurance company has a preponderance of evidence that the beneficiary is guilty, then the insurance company follows the state's slayer clause to determine who received the payout. Typically, this means the payout will go to the insurer's estate. Of course, the insurance company will want a legal ruling before paying the estate in order to protect them from a lawsuit by the beneficiary. Think of the O.J. Simpson murder trial. He was acquitted of murder because the jury didn't feel there was evidence beyond a reasonable doubt which is the legal standard for criminal conviction. However, O.J. Simpson was sued for murder by the family in a civil trial, and the preponderance of the evidence found O.J. guilty. Civil cases, like insurance claims, have a different legal standard. They only need a preponderance of evidence for a ruling. Well, I appreciate the information, Ken, and the reference to the Slayer Rule... Help me do some research so that I can confidently answer the listener's question about the Kalen matter in a way that is irrefutable, and of course that way is I don't know. Now, the listener's question was whether Mrs. Kalen would receive a payout from the insurance policy. After she killed her husband, she claimed it happened... Uh, when they struggled over a gun, and that it was an accident, self-defense, which, as I said at the time, was funny because her husband said that he uh, killed someone and it happened the same way. So there was a lot of that going around. When I looked into the actual rulings on these Slayer cases, it could be all over the place. There was one case where a husband was suspected of killing his wife, and the police had not cleared him, and after some time, he sought to get release of the funds, but the insurance company was permitted to continue to hold them because the police hadn't cleared him. In another state, the beneficiary had been charged with the first-degree murder of the insured. However, this was a felony murder rule charge, which essentially says if you commit a felony and someone dies in the commission of the felony, then you can be charged with murder. But since the person did not actually kill the insured, the beneficiary collected despite being charged with murder of the insured. In another state, I read uh, a case where the beneficiary was convicted of manslaughter for a fluke situation where he hit his wife and his wife died. And the insurance company ended up doing a settlement where they paid off half the death benefit, even though he was criminally convicted of causing her death. So a lot of this is going to vary based on the state, as Ken said, and the particulars of the insurance contract. And I think I can speak with confidence to the idea that not even the writer of the Kalen matter knew whether Mrs. Kalen would collect on the policy, and they probably didn't care. So, fascinating reading though, anyway. 
over on YouTube. Michael writes, thank you, Adam, for sharing this with us. I love yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate your comment. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. I want to go ahead and thank another Jonathan. I know we've thanked one recently, but this Jonathan has been supporting us since March 2020 at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Jonathan. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you are enjoying the podcast on YouTube, like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. All those great things that help the channel to grow. And they also like it if you leave a comment or two. Next Thursday, Philo Vance returns. But we continue our celebration of radio legend Bob with the conclusion of the McLean matter where... Dollar, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to get my hands on the bird or put it down on the ground that way with somebody else's name. He was a doctor, wasn't he? That's what it looks like. Doctor Who? You'll find out soon enough. Uh, Let me ask you something. How would you feel if you got the kind of news I got today, huh? You'd feel pretty lousy. Well, I feel pretty lousy. I was going to marry Teresa Corbett a couple of years ago. I built her a nice house on a hill. And she disappeared. Just walked out. Yesterday, you come in and you say she didn't walk out. She walked into a doctor's office one night and had a heart attack. You say this doctor gave her another name, his wife's name. He buried her and collected some insurance. And that's how she disappeared. Now, what about me? Huh? They came around to see me after she disappeared. They came around a lot asking questions. And now they think they found her. You and me know they found her, don't we? Yeah, I guess we do. I spent two years waiting to find her, and now she's dead. Why is she dead? I can't answer that yet. But this doctor, he can't answer it, can he? He took her and buried her under another name, just took her like she was some sort of clay doll, something used and something no one wanted anymore. Took her and buried her, and that was supposed to be that. Now, what's his name? (sighs) Randy, you better go home for a while. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.